Does the name Dick Hoyt mean anything to any one of you? What if I add to it the name Rick Hoyt? Dick and Rick Hoyt are a father and son. Uh, due to things that happened at his birth, Rick was born without the ability to talk or to communicate or to do anything. But it became his dream to run a 5K. And his dad was, was not a runner. But because his son wanted to run a 5K, he trained and began getting prepared to take his son a 5K. He got a special wheelchair made and all of those things. You have to shut down Easy Worship and start back up. Um, then, Rick's dreams grew. And Rick didn't want to just run a 5K, he wanted to run a marathon. And so, Dick began to train for a marathon. And Dick became a man who every year you would see him pushing his son to the Boston Marathon. And then Rick's dreams grew even bigger. And he wanted to run a triathlon. Now, I imagine running while pushing your son is a lot of work. It's harder when you add to it at the same time, right after that run or right before that run, biking while having your adult son on the seat of your bicycle as you bike. But then when you add to that, the triathlon also had swimming. And so Dick would put Rick in a raft behind him, and he would swim the course, towing the raft for his son. There is a, a bronze statue near the beginning of the Boston Marathon of, of Dick Hoyt pushing his son. And as I thought about our sermon this week, the story of Rick and Dick came to mind a lot. In Luke 5, Jesus has called his first disciples. He's been going around teaching. He has been healing people. He has been doing all of these things. And he comes to this place where there's a big following, where there are lots of people there pressing in to hear what he has to say. And that is where we find ourselves this morning in our text. There in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says, On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on that, a, mat, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and sit him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think, Who is this man? Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk? 
But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes it is an hour of faith that reveals God's grace. So often we think about finding the grace of God and finding the blessings of God because of our faith, because of how faith we have. Because we have to have enough and we have to go to God and pray and all of these things. But sometimes it's not our faith. We don't know this man's faith. We don't know his faith. We don't know if he even had faith. We don't know about this man. Did he have it? Did he not have it? Did he ask for this? Did he send for some friends and say, man, I heard Jesus is coming through. Take me over there to see him. Was his faith important here at all? We don't have enough information in this story to know about the man's faith. We don't know any of those things. What we do know is that there is a collective there when it says he saw their faith. We don't know his faith. But even if he had the strongest faith in the world, it wasn't healing him lying on the mat at his house. Even if his faith was just the most gigantic thing you've ever seen, him laying there in his house was not getting him healed. The only way for him to get the blessing was for these people to come to his house and pick him up and carry him to where Jesus was. Their faith in taking him to Jesus is what showed him God's grace. It's what revealed God's grace. Everything we get is from the grace of God. Everything we have. We don't call down blessings. Now, that's why I put it this way. It reveals God's grace. We don't call down blessings. So often we, we treat God like a genie, right? God, I just need this, and we think he's just going to give it, but that's not the way it works. God, in his sovereignty, gives us the blessings he's going to give us, but prayer is the conduit that connects us to God. And so, sometimes, it's not our faith. Sometimes it's not about us. Sometimes it's someone else who has the faith to, to reveal God's grace to us and to show us what's going on. Sometimes, the faith of others carries us through the valley into God's blessings. This man was paralyzed. Even if it started with his faith, someone else had to pick him up. Someone else had to carry him. Someone else had to put him on the roof. Someone else had to lower him down. All the steps that it took to get him in front of Jesus, someone else had to do. And the Bible says when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Their faith. Not his faith. Their faith. <clears throat> 21 years ago, in December of 2000, I was diagnosed with reproductive cancer. testicular cancer. And I went through all the treatment. And I've been cleaning everything. Okay. About two years ago, we went on vacation. 
We went on vacation to Lubbock. I don't know why Lubbock. Stayed at the hotel. We swam a little bit. And then I discovered a nodule. Having had the cancer before, I know what the cancer feels like. And in that moment, I saw my life done. I just kind of went So I started researching what I was going to have to go through. I started preparing myself for all the treatment and all the tests and all the things that were going to happen. I started looking at the cost of, of what was going to happen. I started looking at all of these things that were going on, that were going to be, my life was going to change, that included hormone replacement therapy, and all this other stuff that was going on, and I was just bombarded on every side, and I was beat down, and I was just upset and mad, and I was done, and my faith was finished. But I had a friend of Brownwood who, who I sent a message to, and he and I talked for a little while, and he prayed over me, and he prayed against cancer, and I had a group that I was, I was a part of on Facebook. I didn't know any of these guys in real life. But every one of them across the nation were praying for me in this time. And I had my wife who was praying for me and praying against cancer and speaking against cancer. And almost daily, the nodule began to go away. Almost daily, there was something else that was, that was going on. And I, I went... I made the appointment to see your urologist and I went and I made this appointment but the day before the nodule was gone. So I went to the appointment anyway because science. And I, just, I needed a doctor to look at me and tell me everything's going to be okay because I went in and expected to have to have an ultrasound and to have to have all these tests and he walks in and he examines me and he says, you're, all, you're perfectly normal. There's nothing here. I recorded the doctor saying that on the phone, by the way. <laughs> Carrie couldn't go in with me. She had to stay home with the kids. So I wanted to make sure somebody else could confirm what I thought I was hearing. Because at that point, my faith was low. But other people's faith carried me through. Other people's faith brought me to a point where I could understand what was going on. I was in a valley, probably one of the worst valleys of my life. Because when I had cancer the first time, it really didn't faze me all that much. It didn't. I had surgery and that's all it took. Because they got the cancer all at once. I had to have chemo, I had to have radiation. I had to have the most stressful six years of my life doing surveillance, which is horrible. I wouldn't wish on anybody. But I walked in, I walked into the Stephenville Hospital that morning at 5 a.m. And after surgery, the wheelchair was small. So I walked out at 2 p.m. <laughs> so it didn't fade me the first time. The second time, I lost it. But the faith of others carried me through. The faith of others brought me to a place to see the blessings that God was giving me. This man, whether he had faith or not, it took four other people to carry him where he was supposed to be. It took four other people to get him to be in front of Jesus. It was their faith that 
Jesus saw and said, your sins are forgiven. But you know, God can use our blessings to testify to others. They lowered him down and said, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers get upset. They're mad. Who is this guy that says he forgives their sins? Who can forgive sins but God? He's the blasphemer. He is sitting himself and doing this. And Jesus says, well, why do you ask? Which is easy. Why do you ask that? Why do you ask? Because is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to say get up and walk? But so that you'll know that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. He used that man's healing, he used that man's blessing to testify to these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. He took that and he said, here you go. You want to know this? There it is. I can't forgive sins because it's so much easier to tell this guy to get up and walk than it is for forgive sins evidently because y'all are so worried about it. Here we go. So you'll know that I can do this. Here this is. This sermon is in a part on me and a tip to testify to the goodness of God because God still hears our cries today. God still hears and brings us to the darkest valleys. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to walk by ourselves. When we're going through something, He is there. God doesn't forget about us. But when God works in our lives at this level, it's awkward. It's awkward. You're going, what? It is. Can you imagine being this man? You're lying in your bed or on your mat. Four guys come in and pick you up and they carry you across town. You ever been put in the back of an ambulance? It's the most humbling and awkward experience in the world, right? Because everybody's looking at you. You're going, this, this is horrible. If you're my size, you're going, please let this thing stay up. You know, you know? That's what's going on. And this guy is being walked through town with his back. People have to be looking. It's got to be awkward there. And then they get there. We're like, hey, Jesus. Oh. I'm thinking a block away from me. There's people piling around the house. They can't even really get close. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. They can't get him in the door. He's probably like, it's okay, guys. Just take me over. It'll be okay. I'll see you next time. They say, no, no, no. We're going to get you in. And then they go and climb up on the roof. What was he strapped to on? I mean, they take this guy on this mat and go up on the roof and bring him up there. I mean, they're just going to take him up. Let's go to the roof. Let's get up there. Let's do what we need to do. And then they start to get to the ceiling. If somebody came to your house when you were having a party and started putting a hole in your roof, how would that affect you? This guy's sitting there thinking these people are digging through the roof. I can imagine Jesus sitting there teaching. And this dirt just starts falling down in front of him. People start going, what's going on? Then, then, then the hole opens up and they lower this guy down in front of Jesus in the middle of a crowd. That's awkward. And then he says, 
your sins are forgiven. That guy was a little disappointed. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think he's coming there to get his sins forgiven. He's probably coming there to be healed. He's lowered down in the midst of this crowd and all this big fiasco and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I want to walk, Jesus. I, I, I want to get up. What was he going to do at that point? I mean, your sins are forgiven. Does he just lay there for the rest of the lesson? I mean, what does he do? This is awkward. And he's sitting there. And, and, and when you see this, we have to understand that when people begin to come to church, when they come to Jesus, when they find these places and they walk in these doors, they may be coming from places where they've been suffering from addiction. And it's awkward for them to walk in the church. Maybe they're, they're suffering from something they did in their past. We live in a small town. We know how small towns are, right? That's all so-and-so's kid. Who cares whose kid they are if they're trying to find Jesus? But it might be awkward. It may be coming from a bad marriage. And it's awkward to walk into the church because what are they going to think about me? They may be coming from somewhere else where they're just needing us to come around them and love on them and say, we're here for you. And they want to know because it's awkward. When you have been living a life apart from what you know you're supposed to be living, when you start to come back, it's awkward. You know, you don't want to be right. I, I don't want to come. I don't, I don't want to walk down the aisle. When you come to accept Jesus, it's a little awkward, isn't it? Because you've got to come down and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a louse. I can't do it on my own, and I need you. And you do it in front of people. And it's awkward. What people who come with all these issues want is for us just to love them. They want us to love them. They want us to say, you know what? We love you. What they don't want is for us to love them. There was once a man out of a story. <clears throat> a man who got dressed up to go to church. Put on his best suit and his fancy shoes. And he walked into the church and he sat down. Getting ready. And a few minutes later, a man who came in was very disheveled. His clothes were torn up. His shoes were falling apart. And uh, he came and he was obviously homeless. And he sat next to this man. And he sat close. Real close. He sat so close that the soles of her shoes were too deep. And he didn't smell it. And the man just wished he would scoop down a little bit. And then the service began. And the songs began. And the homeless guy which stood and would raise his hands, tears streaming down his face in gratitude of what God had done and what God was doing in his life, even though he was homeless and he had nothing. And the man in the suit was simply there mad that there was a guy there who smelled bad and wouldn't scoop down. 
And at the end of the service, as he was gathering his stuff up to go, the homeless man turned to him and says, thank you. I've been here for a few weeks now, and you're the first person to sit beside me for this long. That day, their souls touched, not just the soles of their shoes. When God works on that level, it's, it's awkward. It changes us. Imagine being the man on the mat who has to lay there as theologians have a theological discussion about you. Right? That's what they're doing. He's lowered through. He's set before Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then all of a sudden, there's a theological discussion. Who is this guy? What does he mean he forgave his sins? Only God forgives sins. You ever been in a room and people are talking about you and you're like, hey, I'm not here? That guy was laying in front of all these theologians who were talking about him. It was awkward. And he's probably laying there saying, well, Jesus, they're right. I don't want my sins forgiven. I want to walk. And then Jesus, in the midst of their awkwardness, looks at him and says, well, then get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. In the midst of the awkwardness, he came to the man's place of where he needed to be. And this is where the man has some action, right? Because sometimes our part of faith is to believe in those things. We don't know how long really this man had been paralyzed. You ever seen somebody come back from time in a coma or somewhere like that? There's no muscle tone. you got to learn to walk again. What faith did it take at that moment? He might not have had faith when he got there. But he sure had to have faith when he left. Because when Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk, he couldn't walk a while ago. He wanted not just to get up, but also pick something up. He wanted him to do something. He had to have the faith to do it. Can you imagine the faith it took for that guy to turn over? To push himself up? That had to have been the most scary thought in the world for him at that moment. What if it doesn't work? What if I try and it falls over and I ruin Jesus' ministry? You know, he had all this stuff probably going through his head. He had to have the faith to just do it. And after he stood up and bent over and took out his mat, and then leave. It's one thing to stand. It's another thing to pick something up. It's something else entirely to actually start walking. And this man had to have the faith to do it. The Bible says, and he did it immediately. This is faith to get up. Now, we might get offended at that point. If we were there that day, we might have been like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He got his miracle, he let him went home. He didn't even stay for the rest of the service. Might be where we were at, you never know. I mean, but this man came. Maybe, maybe we find ourselves that way. He got his miracle and he left. Jesus told him to go. He, he came, and his faith was to follow through and say, yes, okay. I'll do this. Jesus may be asking you to do something this morning, and it may not be anywhere near as hard as standing up. We make excuses for little things sometimes. Well, Jesus, I can't do that because that man had every excuse in the world. 
He had been laying on that mat for who knows how long. He'd been carried across town. He'd been dragged up on the roof. He'd been lowered down. He'd been talked about. And Jesus said, get up and go. And he did it. He had every excuse in the world, but he did it. When God is calling us to something, we don't have the excuses that he had. We don't have the reasons he had. We can't say, well, God, I can't do that. God says, knock on your neighbor's door. Oh, God, I can't do that. Why? They're your neighbor. Just knock on the door and say hello. Say, I just wanted to, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Take them out. Play the cookies. Do something to let them know that they mean something to you. Maybe, maybe God is telling you something else. Maybe He's called you to do something that you really just don't want to do. Oh. I, I don't know that I really want to do that kind of job. God, I don't know that I'm qualified. Well, you know what? If God's telling you to do it, He'll give you the qualifications. He'll put you where you need to be. Quit looking for excuses. Sometimes our part is just to believe. It's just to do what God has called us to do. Maybe this week your faith has failed. Maybe you're at a point where you can believe in Jesus, but you have a hard time believing He's going to actually pull you through this. You ever been there? I believe in Jesus, but this situation looks pretty bad. Maybe this morning... It's the faith of others that are going to pull you through. That's why it's so important to be part of a local body of believers. It's so important. Because it's the local body who can pray for you. It's the local body who can walk with you. It's the local body who is there for you. That's why we have a church. That's why we come together. Maybe it's just time for you to believe the results of something that Jesus has already promised Maybe God has already told you something. He has told you this is going to happen, and you're just thinking, well, we'll see. Maybe you're like me. That's, that's my issue most of the time. I'm a, I'm a, I'll believe it when I see it kind of person. And God wants me to believe it before I see it. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to Certain missions or ministry, maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the man who, who took all the awkwardness of this world and placed it upon himself so that we could be free. Now's the time. You just walk down the aisle and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But whatever you're at, wherever you need, give it to him when you pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and praise you for your blessings.